So good morning, good morning. How's everybody doing? Who's excited to be in church today? Come on, I'm excited to be here with you. If this is your first time checking out Elevate Church, let me welcome you. My name is Colby. I'm the pastor here, and I've been gone the last couple of weeks, and I just want to let you know where I've been. A, a couple weeks ago, I was at a, a camp doing a training for the college students that were coming in to serve the kids in the summer, about 150 or so students did like five messages in four days and just kind of pouring into those guys and it was a great experience being with them. But last week, we were in Florida because my boys had the opportunity, two of them, I have one going into sixth grade, his name is Jake, he's gonna be a middle schooler, and Wade, my oldest, is gonna be a freshman in high school, dang. He's going into the ninth grade, and they got to go to a conference down at Bayside Church in Bradenton called the 12 Conference, which we're looking to in the future, hopefully, take some of our students down to. Um, but So we got to go to Florida, so we hung out there for a week. I took my family to my old stomping grounds at SeaWorld and Discovery Cove, and we got to go backstage and meet some dolphins. There's my family hanging out. Some of you know that I used to work at SeaWorld, train the, the whales, dolphins, walruses, all that kind of stuff, and so still got some connections there. Come on, free day at SeaWorld. That's what I'm talking about. And so they got to meet some dolphins. I got to meet Elmo. That's a dream come true right there. Love me some Elmo. Uh, but it was just a great time to be with my family. But the reason we went down for this conference was because they were doing a PK track. PK stands for pastor's kids or preacher kid. And so they were doing this PK track because I grew up a PK and I know how crazy I am for that. So our heart really is to raise our boys to be great men of God in their generation. And so we want to make sure that we're doing everything that we can to set them up for success. And they were offering this PK track. So they had about 20, 25 PKs stay in this one place and they poured into them and kind of spoke to them on their level. But it was a great opportunity to be down there with them. And I say all that because while back here, our staff just does an incredible job and they don't miss a beat. And how about those messages that Will brought the last couple of weeks? Come on. Man, that's such a great word. And aren't you grateful that we have such a great team at Elevate Church, not just our staff, but our volunteers as well, that week in and week out serve so faithfully. It's awesome to see. Today, though, we're kicking off a brand new series called Uncaged Faith. And some of you are like, what does that mean? What are you talking about in uncaged faith? Well, let me put it this way. How many of you remember when you were a child, you had this crazy imagination like you could, you could pretend play anything, you could do you know, whatever you wanted. Like as a child, you had a very vivid imagination. And I say that because in the summer, at our house, at the Atkins house, we do what's called no screen summers, which means no phones, no TVs, no movies, no video games, all that kind of stuff, like go outside and play, right? If it's nasty outside, okay, you know, we're, we're gonna spend some time doing that. But for the most part, let's get out and play. But that means that every summer, inevitably, we have the conversation with my boys that goes like this. What do you want us to do? Like, what do you want us to do, Dad? I'm like, I don't care. Use your imagination. Like, go in the woods, climb a tree, uh, wrestle a bear, you know, catch a snake, do whatever. Like, just use your imagination. Go out and play in the dirt. Eat some dirt. Build your immune system, whatever you want to do. Like, I remember going outside, and many of you remember this as a child, that's what we would do all day. We could, like, use our imagination. We would play war and battle in the woods all day long, and I say that because I think somewhere along the way, as we grow up, our dreams grow down. 
Like as we grow up and we mature, our dreams and things that we are believing for often, often grow down. We, we grow up, and that's a good thing, by the way. You should grow up. You should mature. I mean, that's necessary. But I think so many times when we're, we're growing up, we often have our dreams grow down and we begin to, to settle. And it's celebrated in this culture that we, we settle, that we get settled in our, our lives. In fact, if you graduated high school, the question that you'll get next is, is all right, where are you going to school? Like, what's next? What are you going to do with your life? Are you going to settle? Or, or after college, right, what are you going to do for a job? Do you already have a job lined up? You know, what, what are you going to do? How are you going to make a living? You know, it's celebrated that we, we settle. Or if you're in a dating relationship, you get asked the question, when are you going to get married? Like, everybody wants to know, when are you going to get married? When are you going to settle down? Unless you're single, then all your friends are asking you, why are you still single? You know, why don't you go on a date? And how many of you have that a na nagging aunt that every, every wedding that you go to, right, you see and she's always like, hey, don't worry, your turn's coming. I know how to stop that, by the way. At the next family funeral you go to with that aunt, you use her words against her and say, hey, don't worry, your turn's coming. Maybe you shouldn't do that, that's not nice. But it's celebrated, right, in our culture that we settle that we settle down, that we look for safety, and that we look for security. You can hear it in our language. We'll say things like, man, I got a good job with some good benefits, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like, do that, work hard, you know, have that, have that there. But here's what I'm afraid of, that in settling down, we often settle for less. For less than what we were meant to have, less than what we were meant to become. We stop believing for something. We stop dreaming big dreams. And so I think the word of the Lord for us today is don't stop believing. Like, come on, don't stop believing. Hold on to that. That's what I'm talking about, right? Like that we shouldn't settle for less when we're settling, settling down, that we don't need to stop believing, that I just want us in this series to start to maybe dream a little bit more to build our faith just a little bit more, to believe that God really is the God of the impossible, to believe that, that God can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. I want that for me. I want that for this church. Does anybody else want that kind of faith? Like an uncaged, unbridled, off the chain kind of faith that just believes that God can do more. Because I believe that in settling down, God does not want us to settle for less. But what happens is we often begin to settle. We often begin to have our faith decrease. And I think that the older we get, the more our faith should increase, not decrease. Like the, the more dreams that we should have in our heart for what, what if, or maybe God could, or maybe God actually will, that our faith should continually increase, not decrease. But a lot of times I think as we get older and we start to settle, our risk level goes down as well. And we start to take the, the path of least resistance in our life, the, the safe path, our, our risk level starts to decrease and diminish. And the danger in that is that we arrive at the end of our life and, and go, was this it? Like, is this all that I live for? Really, just to retire and mow the yard, right? And just kind of wait to die? Or was there something more? I just think that we should be believing God for something more. That our faith should increase we should believe for something greater and greater in our life. But oftentimes we lock ourselves into a cage of reduced faith. 
And especially for those of us that are followers of Jesus that we actually know God. Like, not that you know about God, but you know God. You, you've taken that step and you've surrendered your life to him. Then by definition, you are a person of faith. Like, so we should be believing God for more in our life. I don't know what you thought this is, but this is a church where we have faith, where we still believe God can move mountains. We still believe, right, that God answers prayers, that when we pray, God responds to those prayers. We still believe that God can heal. We are a church full of people of faith, that when we wake up in the morning, we don't wake up and just go, you know, let's wait and see what life does to us. We wake up and go, what can we do to life? Like, we don't wake up and go, hey, it's just another day. Oh, here we go again. No, when we wake up, the devil goes, oh, crap, here they are. They're awake again. Look out, right? Come on, that's the kind of church we are. And so I don't know what you thought you walked into today, but we are people of faith, so let's live like it. Come on, let's start acting like it. Let's believe for a little bit more. My goal in this series is to increase your level of faith. Like just, if there is a faith continuum, which I'm not suggesting that there is, but if there is, like just to that next level. Like whatever that is for you, that you would just go up a level in your faith. So in order to do that, right, we have to figure out first and foremost what faith, what faith is. Because sometimes we can leave church, unfortunately, hopefully not here, and um, be inspired, maybe be encouraged and get in the car and drive away and go, man, that was great. Now what do I do? Or, or what we can have happen sometimes is people will just say dumb things in church. Let's just be honest. Maybe you're going through a tough season in your life and you come to church and you talk to someone and what they say is, oh man, I'm really sorry you're going through that. You just need to have a little bit more faith. And you're like, oh really? Like where do I get that? Do I go to Wegmans? Is that at the pharmacy counter? Like, of course I want more faith, right? So how do I get that? How do I increase my faith? And I think that that's what God wants to do in our hearts during this, this season. So let's start by laying a foundation for where we're gonna go in the next couple of weeks. Hebrews 11 one says this, that our faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It's the evidence of things we can't see. In fact, if you wanna take some notes, if you love Jesus and you're a note taker, you should write that down. That's the definition of faith. Faith is the evidence of things we can't see. Like that's the nature of faith, right? We're, we're believing for something that is unseen. It's the evidence of things we can't see. The word of God tells us that, that we walk by faith, not by sight. It tells us that, that without faith, it's impossible for us to please God. So the reverse of that would also be true. Then our faith pleases God. Like our, our faith, you know, when we decide to walk through our day declaring faith instead of doubt in our life, it brings a smile to God's faith. Face, our faith is the evidence, right, of what we cannot see. You know what evidence is? Evidence is what you bring into a courtroom to prove your case. That's what evidence is. Evidence is what you bring, you know, into a trial to prove your your point, and I think a lot of times we believe that God is in our courtroom and he has to prove himself to us, but that's backwards. We're actually in God's courtroom and we don't have to prove ourselves to him for salvation. Don't think that. We don't have to prove ourselves to him for our relationship with him. That is a free gift to us through faith in Jesus Christ. You know, that's given to us. We don't earn that. That's free, so we can't take credit for it at all. But when it comes to something we're believing for, our faith is the evidence to make our case before God. 
This is what we present to him. So I would say this, that the stronger your faith is, it's the stronger the evidence you're bringing before God. Are you with me? Can you follow that? Like it's the stronger our, our evidence is. So when I say in my life, that I'm, if I'm going through some bad thing, but I declare, even though I'm going through some bad thing, over my life that, that you know I have a good God who's gonna work this out, or if I'm going through some season in my life of difficulty, but I stand firm and I say, I, I believe that God is gonna work all things to my good for those who are called according to his purposes, for those who love him, right? That's not an indication of my ignorance. That's not an indication of me being out of touch with reality. That's me bringing my faith before God and making my case for something that I cannot yet see. Right, that's what that is, is my faith is the evidence for what I am believing in God to do. And some of you are like, I don't wanna be that person. I don't wanna be a faith person. Colby, I've, I've met those people. They're a little crazy. They're a little touched in the head. Like I know families that, that their children are not walking with God, that they're so far away from God, yet they're standing and declaring that by faith, you know, God is gonna allow my children to walk close to him all the days of their, their life. You're like, they're just being crazy. No, they're bringing their evidence before God for something that, that they can't yet see happen. Or people that proclaim God in my marriage I know it's broken, and I know it needs restoration, and you're like, it's never gonna happen. They left you, he left you, she left you. No, they are bringing their evidence, putting it on the table in the courtroom of heaven and saying, I am believing for this thing that I cannot yet see. Are you with me? That's what faith is. You're believing for it, and that belief is your evidence for what you cannot yet see. Faith is the evidence. Some of you might say, well, I don't think I have any faith at all. To which I would say, everyone in this room has a degree of faith. In fact, the Bible says in Romans 12, it says this, that by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. That might be for somebody here today. I don't know. Underline that if you want to. But rather, right, think of yourself with sober judgment. So he's saying, uh, this is Paul writing. He's saying, don't be arrogant, but don't beat yourself up either. Like, God doesn't want you walking around going, I'm no good, you know, I'm a loser, I can't do anything, right? God doesn't want, you just need to stop that, right? Get that language out of your vocabulary. But God also doesn't want you walking around going, I'm God's gift to the planet. Just be somewhere in the middle, all right? That's what Paul is saying. Like, have sober, uh, think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. Every one of us, God has distributed something to us. The King Jimmy version of this says, in accordance to the, the measure of faith, God has given you. So every single one of us has a measure of faith. Now, you might say, well, my faith, you know, compared to that person's faith is like a teaspoon, you know, amount of faith. But your job is not to compare. Like, comparison will kill contentment in your life. So don't compare. All you have to do is look at the measure of faith that you've been given and decide that you want to increase it. And say that, God, I want, I want this faith to grow, no matter how big or small you believe it to be right now, but you wanna take it and you want to grow it. That's what this is about, growing the faith that God has given us, but many of us end up sitting on our faith. And it remains dormant in our life, and a, a dormant faith is an ineffective faith in your, your life. And what happens is we'll walk into situations where our faith has the potential to increase and advance 
and grow, but yet we sit on it and it's dormant and it reduces and it doesn't increase at all. In fact, it, it, it gets less. And so I would propose that God wants us to grow our faith. Now there's also something called the spiritual gift of faith. Uh, maybe you know somebody that has that where they just have the supernatural ability to believe God for something and then they see that thing come to fruition. Uh, but every person, according to God's word, has a measure of faith. So I would just say this as we start, work your measure. Like whatever measure you've been given, take that faith that you have and, and grow it and then work that and watch that grow as well. And so today I wanna lay a foundation and give you three perspective shifts that we need to have in our faith because I think some of us see our faith the wrong way, see it through the wrong lens. And in 1 Samuel chapter one, I'm gonna use a story, if you have your Bible, turn there, of a woman named Hannah. Hannah was unable to have children. Hannah was married to a guy named Elkanah who actually had two wives, by the way. So let me quickly say that um, there's a difference between uh, a a prescription and a description. Like things that are described in the Bible are therefore for context. They're not there to be prescriptions for the way that you live your life. So when you hear that Elkanah had two wives, guys don't look at your wife and go, hey honey, that's in the Bible. Maybe we should think about, uh, you know. No, no sister wives here going on, all right? Just throw that out there. Like some things are prescriptive and some things are descriptive. Just because, you know, it's recorded in God's word that David slept with Bathsheba and had a child, right, doesn't mean that you go around sleeping, you know, with someone else that's not your, your husband or your, your wife. A, a prescription is words that we live by. A description gives us context to the story. So that's what that is. And in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 2, it says that he, Elkanah, had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Penina. That's unfortunate right there. <laughs> Penina had children, but Hannah had none. And year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, not Phinehas and Ferb, come on, the parents know what I'm talking about. The two sons of Eli were the priests of the Lord. And whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters, but to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, watch this, the rival, this, this other woman, this Penina, kept provoking her in order to irritate her. She was probably mad about her name being Penina. I'm just, just saying. <laughs> but she wanted to irritate her. And the Bible says that this went on year after year after year. And so whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival was there to, to pour salt in the wound. Her rival was there to, to kind of dig in it a little bit more until she wept and she would not eat. I'm wondering if any of you have been there where the, the gap between where you are and where you wanted to be, where you were hoping for, believing for, wanted to have faith for was so great seemed so distant that it brought tears to you, that it caused you to weep, where that gap between where you currently were and where you were asking God to take you was so great that it, that it brought tears. Like poor Hannah, right? This is, where, this is where she was, and not only was she broken by the gap that she had in her life, but she also had this constant reminder of that gap. She also had this constant irritating 
reminder from this, this other woman of, of the pain that was in her life. And that gap, by the way, that, that we experience doesn't have to be something that's negative. It doesn't always have to be a, a bad gap. It could be this positive thing in your life where you, you're hoping to, to be someplace else. Like, I'm hoping to start that business one day. It could be something that you're dreaming about that would, would happen, but the gap is so great that you can't see a way to get there. Or, or it could be the promotion that you're looking for at work, but you just can't see a way to go from where you are to where you want to be because the gap is so great. In fact, if you've lived any amount of life, every single one of us have experienced that gap, whether it was positive or negative, the place between where we wanted to be and where we wanted to go. And we couldn't necessarily have faith to see it and how it would, would get there. Maybe your gap seems small compared to Hannah's gap, but it's, it's not small because it's real to you, that you have this, this gap. And we think about faith in these situations and we look at Hannah and we go, God, where were you? Like, why, why, why didn't you respond? Why didn't you answer? She sought you year after year after year. And maybe you've been there where you're like, God, where are you? I've prayed about this. I filled out a connect card, a prayer request on that. I've given it to the prayer team. I mean, they're, they're praying for it year after year after year. God, where are you? Why haven't you showed up? And I think it's in those moments of doubt and disbelief that we'll begin to think God is doing something to us. That maybe God is perhaps repaying us for our past that I just messed up so bad in my life that I'm never gonna be able to see that happen. Which by the way, God doesn't work that way. He's not repaying you for your past. But we might begin to think that because the gap is so great that we don't know how to get there. Or we might even begin to think, God, maybe you're not as good as I thought you were. Maybe you're not as, as you know, powerful. Maybe, maybe, maybe you don't hear me. Maybe you don't even care about this thing that I'm experiencing in my life, this, this gap. And so the first perspective shift we need to make so we can grow our faith is this. I want you to write it down. The gap is not the obstacle to your faith. It's the opportunity for your faith. The gap that you experience in life is not the obstacle. It's, it's the opportunity for your faith to grow and your faith to build, because if there was no gap, there'd be no need for faith, right? If there was no need for faith, there'd be no need for God at all to work in your life. So we need to shift our perspective. That gap that you're experiencing is not the obstacle to seeing God move in your life. It's the opportunity to watch your faith grow in your life. Come on, it's the chance for it to grow. Like when we were planting this church seven and a half years ago or so, uh, we planted through an organization called ARC. You've heard us talk about it, the Association of Related Churches. It's our church planting organization. They planted uh, now over 1,000 churches throughout the U.S. and around the world, these life-giving churches. And Kristen, when we were planting the church, we had to raise how much money? We had to raise $30,000 before ARC would give us $30,000. So they would match whatever we raised up to $30,000 to help provide us for, for launch. And $30,000 to us might as well have been $30 million to us, right? Because like, where's that gonna come from? Like, we have no idea. And it was in that gap that God had to stretch our faith, that God had to increase our faith. In fact, he proved himself faithful because he gave us more than we could ask or imagine we raised $52,000. Art gave us $30,000. We launched the church with $82,000. I mean, that was a faith-building exercise for us. And then I remember a few years after that, the school said, hey, you gotta leave. 
It's time to go. You're doing too many services and it's time to get out. You know, we can't continue your contract. And we're like, what are we gonna do? And so in that season of, of doubt, right, where there was this gap of now where do we go? What, what do we do? I just felt like God was, was speaking to my heart. Something was kind of rising up within me. So I called our, our big staff together at the time. I said, both of you come in here right now. And I said, I think God's moving us. He's taking us someplace, and someplace we probably already have been, and we looked at this building like a year after we launched, and that was a dead issue, but God began to stir our faith again, and so we, we prayed, we sought God first, what do you want us to do, and this building became really a reality, and it had to cost us the tune of $750,000 to do what we needed to do. But I would have never had faith for that had God not taught me to have faith in the little thing, all right? And so your faith is something that constantly grows. Today, I have no problem believing in God for $6.8 million for what he wants to do next and in through this church. In fact, I got about $30 million worth of vision inside of me that that's a stretch because I don't know. That's something that God's gonna have to grow my faith in. So your, your faith is not... It's not just about the thing that you're asking God to do now. It's about what God wants to do next. He wants to take where you are and he wants to grow it for what's next. In fact, I'll say this. I think the gap in your life is an indicator of the direction that God is taking you. I think it's an indicator of where you are, are going. Don't see that gap as an obstacle to your faith, see it as an opportunity for your faith to grow, are you with me? Because if we don't see it right, then we won't respond correctly to it. So it's an opportunity for it to grow. Verse 12, it says this, Hannah kept praying to the Lord. And I love that. I think some of the reasons why you and I don't have an uncaged, unbridled, wild kind of faith is because we give up too soon. He says, Hannah sought God year after year after year after year. Some of us will pray for something for a week, and we're like, all right, it's not going to happen. We're done. But every single year, she sought God. It says she kept praying. Verse 10, in fact, says she was praying to God. Verse 12, she kept praying to God. She prayed to God. And some of us, we wait, and we say, well, all we have now to do is to pray. No, you pray first. Like, you seek God first. And that's what Hannah did. She was praying to the Lord. And the priest there, Eli, observed her mouth moving. So they're at the temple again. They're, they're worshiping God. Eli is watching Hannah as she prays. She just sees her mouth moving, but nothing's coming out. It says her lips were moving and her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drinking. She was kicking back a few cold ones. She was drunk. And so he said to her, how long are you going to keep getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. And look at Hannah. She replied, no, my Lord, I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. I haven't been drinking at all. I haven't had any Zima, any Pabst Blue Ribbon. I haven't even had an O'Doul's. Come on, anybody remember O'Doul's? That's what we used to try to buy in high school because we thought it was cool. She says, well, I haven't been doing that. What I've been doing is I'm pouring out my soul to the Lord. I wonder if you've ever been there. In that place where you've just cried out to God, you've just poured your soul out to him, so she said, don't take me for a wicked woman. I've been here in great anguish and grief. And Eli, the man of God, said to her, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. Then watch this. Immediately it says, may your servant find favor in your eyes. She went away and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. Like immediately she got a word from the man of God, from God, 
and immediately it changed her countenance. Like she held her head up, she held her, her shoulders straight, right? But she's like, she's like, I got a word from the man of God. And, and then it says she was hungry and she ate something and she went away. Now many of you don't get this because you're stress eaters. Like when you're stressed out, you, you eat, eat, eat. I'm kind of the opposite of a stress eater. Um, I, if I know I'm preaching on a Saturday night service here, I might not eat anything all day because I don't want anything, you know, resting on my, my stomach, right? I just kind of, you know, so I get this with Hannah. She was worried. She was anxious, you know, all that kind of stuff. So she wasn't hungry. But then she got a word from God and immediately it changed. Her countenance changed and she was hungry. Why? Because she got a word. Now, some of you are like, Colby, what do you mean? She got a word. I got a word from God. Well, what, what is that? Sometimes we'll use church language in church that people who are unchurched might not understand or if you haven't been around that kind of church. But a word, when we say you got a word from God, it means you got a word from, from God or from the word of God. Or you got a word through, someone spoke a word over your, your life. Maybe it was in a song that, that the words that were sung, you, you got a word, you got a word from the word. Um, that, that's what happens. You've had that happen to you, by the way. When you've talked to someone in your life and they, they said something to you that was exactly what you needed when you wanted, when you needed it, right? In that moment, you're like, man, that was, that was exactly what I needed to hear. That's when we say you've gotten a word. And so she received a word of God, right? From, from this man of God for her. And the prophet said, may the God, God of Israel grant you your request. And all of a sudden, it changed her Outlook. Here's what I want to show you in this. That in the middle of that gap, in the middle of that thing that you don't have faith that you are trying to believe for, the word of God is not, is not something uh, that's nice to have. It's something you have to have. It's critical that you have a word from the word. In fact, I'll say it this way. If the, the gap is the opportunity for our faith to grow, then the word of God is the foundation of our faith. In fact, write that down. God's word is my foundation. It's my foundation of my faith. You cannot build your faith journey on other people's opinion. You can't do it. You cannot build this, this journey that you're on by, by what other people say because it's like shifting sands, right? It could change day to day. Now, the Bible does say that there is wisdom in the counsel of many, and that's, that's good. There's protection in that. There's security in that, but that can't be the place where you start. Like the foundation of your faith has to be found in the word of God. And I know for some of you, you're like, man, that sounds really old school. Okay, listen, we're old school. We believe that God's word is living and is active. We believe that it is the only, right, direction for our faith right now, that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, but God's word is what we use for direction in our life. And so it all has to start there. It must be the foundation. The Bible says the grass, grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord, it stands forever. So that means that the word from your auntie, you know, isn't gonna stand forever. Like she might be wise and smart, but her word's not gonna stand forever. Like that, the word of your grandfather whom, whom is wisdom and has a lot of experience won't stand forever. Honor their opinions, right? Get, get the wisdom that you can, but it can't start there. The foundation of your faith must be founded in God's word first. 
That's where we have to start. So I'd say in that gap that you're experiencing in your life, that difficulty wherever you are, like it's, it, it will be the word that will hold you in that season. It will be the word of God that will sustain you during that trial. It will be the word of God as the foundation for your, your faith. So instead of running to Facebook and asking everybody on Facebook what you should do, for the love of God and all things that are holy, stop that. All right, just throw that out there. Stop that. You don't run there first. Like, instead of going to your Insta story, where you can now type in, like, you know, fill in the blank and tell me what I should, should do. Stop that. Like, the first place you should go is open up God's word, get on your knees and say, God, what, what should I do in this situation? What should I do in this season? You need to run to the house of God and say, God, here I am. The Bible says, seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So you run to God first. Are you with me? That has to be the foundation of your faith. And so that's what Hannah did. And she got a word from God. And he said, all right, may, may, may the request, you know, be granted that you've asked God. And if God, you know, said it, you know, it will, will happen. And so it's not always going to happen on your timeline. But if he promised it, you can, you can take it to the bank. So Hannah goes away and she got pregnant. Because how many of you know you have to act upon the word that God gives you? Like you have to participate in the promise. So Hannah went away and said, hey, Elkanah. I got a word from the man of God. I think we need to, you know. And some of you guys are gonna try that this afternoon with your wife. So you're gonna be like, honey, I got a word in church today. Happy Father's Day. You're welcome for that one, guys. But she went away. They participated in the promise. She got pregnant, right? And she gave birth to a son named Samuel. And Samuel, after, after the first year, um, she didn't take him back to the house of God to worship until he was weaned. And this is kind of where I want to shut down today. Is that in the second year, in verse 24, after he was weaned, she took the boy Samuel, as young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull and an epaw of flour and a skin of wine. So she's taking these items back up to the, the temple to worship. So she brought them to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And when they had slaughtered the bull, they brought the boy to Eli, to the priest. And she said to him, as surely as you live, my Lord, you remember me? Like I'm the one that would come up here year after year after year with my husband Elkanah and, and his other wife. And she would always pour salt in my wound because of where I was and where I wanted to be. And I so desperately wanted, wanted children. And I would seek God year after year and I would just, I just wept and I just wept. I had this constant reminder of what was missing in my life. And then I prayed and remember, I'm the woman that, that you thought was drinking. I had a drinking problem because you couldn't hear me, but then you said, may God grant that request. She says, I'm, I'm that, that woman. And the Lord granted me what I asked of him. So now, watch this, I give him to the Lord. I return him back. For his whole life will be given over to the Lord, says they worship the Lord there. Now I give him to the Lord. This is what I want you to see. If I had to guess, as much as Hannah wept for the child, she wept all the more in giving the child. See, I think a lot of us believe that the true test of faith and our faith growing 
is, is in that gap phase when we're wanting God to move, when we're seeking God to do something in our life. But I would submit that the true test of your faith is not in the receiving, it's in the releasing. I'll say it this way. Faith's test is in the sacrifice. Because here's why. Before that thing comes to pass in your life, before you receive that promise, you're living this way, open-handed. All right, God, like I'm ready for you to do it. I need you to do it. And you're seeking God day after day, maybe year after year. God, I, I need you to restore this marriage. I need you to, 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 I'm begging for a child. I'm begging for healing. Whatever it is, you're just, you're like, God, I know you can do it. I'm seeking you, seeking you, your hands are open, but what happens when God fulfills that promise in your life? Oftentimes we have full hands, but we have a closed grip. And we start to tighten our grip. And we're not understanding that when we tighten our grip around that promise, we no longer have the capacity to receive what God wants to do next in our life. Listen, what God wanted to do next was not about Samuel. It was about opening up Hannah's womb for the other five children that would come after Samuel, all right? It's not just about, you know, Samuel. It's about what Samuel would go on to do with his life and anoint the kings of Israel. So the gap in your life and the promise that God has given you is not just about what God is doing now. It's about what he wants to do next in your life. And so the, the test is this. Are you able to live as open-handed after you've been given the promise as you did before? Or do you hold on to it so tight that God can't do in your life and give you what he wants to give you next. See, I think this is where we're going the next couple weeks. That God is teaching us to increase our faith to that point where we're like, all right, God, you've given me this child, I'm giving him back. Are you restoring my, my marriage? And now it's yours, it belongs to you. Anyway, I'm giving it back. That's an uncaged faith. And that's a faith that moves mountains. That's a faith that builds, you know, uh, that believes God can do way more than we can ask or imagine. Your faith is not, the, the, the gap is not, is not the obstacle, it's the opportunity. You gotta start with the, the word of God, that's the foundation of our faith. And then my faith, the test of it is in the sacrifice. In fact, I would say this and then I'll close, that I think a faith that can't be tested is a faith that can't be trusted. So is God able to test that faith that you have in order to grow it to where he wants it to go? Let's do this. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? And here's what I'm praying for everyone in this room, that God would take the measure of faith that you have right now, that he would begin to increase it. Because for some of us, as we get older, we start to settle. And we settle down, but we don't have to settle for less. That perhaps something that's been dormant in your life would, would be, uh, would start to wake up again. That you would believe again for God to move that mountain. That you would dream again for something more that the gap that you've been up against, that you've decided will never be able to, to fill or cross, that maybe today God would start to stir something inside of your heart again, saying, this is not where I had you all along. I'm glad you're here, but I wanna take you someplace else. I wanna take you to what's next. So will you live open-handed with all that you have right now and give it back to me and offer it up as a sacrifice so I can move you to where I want you to go? With every head bowed, every eyes closed, maybe, maybe when I said some of you 
you know about God, but you don't know God, maybe God began to stir something in your heart. Maybe he began to stir that you need to, you need to take that next step and you need to take your first step of faith and to surrender your life to Jesus because he died on the cross for your sin and the worst thing that you could do is to pay for your sin when it's already been paid for. The Bible says that Jesus died for our sin and anybody that calls on his name and believes that he rose from the dead would be saved. You begin your journey of faith. That might be why you're here today, this Father's Day, to take your first step in faith and be a follower of Jesus. And that's a free gift. It's through grace, it's, it's faith through grace that we've been given that. So maybe you'd say, Colby, this is why I'm here. I wanna have Jesus pay for my sins. I'm gonna trust in that today. I'm gonna invite you to pray this prayer. It's how we enter into a relationship with God. I'm not gonna ask you to stand up. I'm not asking you to come forward. I'm gonna ask you right where you're sitting, just a moment, if you'd say, Colby, I'm gonna pray that prayer right along with you today, that you'd be bold right now and just lift your hand. Wherever you are in this room, no one's looking around, just lift your hand high. Say, God, here I am. I surrender. I wanna have faith. I wanna have the, the knowledge that Jesus died for my sin. And I'm gonna trust in that. I'm gonna believe for that thing that I cannot yet see, but I know it's true. And I'm gonna give him my life. Awesome, you can put your hands down. Say something like this, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I believe that you rose from the dead for me. And so this moment I confess you as Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sin. And now I choose to follow you all the days of my life. Thank you for this new life. And now you have all of mine in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, come on, you guys celebrate with those today that made the best decision of their life. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you made a decision to follow Jesus into your life and accept him as Lord and Savior, we would love to know about it. You can go online to elevatechurch.com forward slash yes, and there'll be some practical next steps for you to take along this journey. If you want to commit to feeling the mission and vision of this church to see people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, you can go online to elevatechurch.com forward slash give.